Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show, presented by the Big Lead. God, love doing that voice. Only thing that's getting me out of bed in the morning. That, coffee, and Mel Tucker. Sparty back? Sparty? Thinking about being back. We're going to monitor that one. I got a great guest for you today. I was joined by Todd Furman. If you have been placing wagers on sports over the last 10 years, you're familiar with his work. He's the host of the great Bet the Board podcast. He's an analyst for CBS Sports. He's also doing a new video series for FanDuel during football season. The man has a lot of plates spinning up in the air. None of them have come crashing down yet. He's thoughtful. We had a wide-ranging conversation about his journey to get where he is how the landscape has exploded over the last few years and what might lie down the road, both for him personally and for kind of the content arm as a whole. We spoke about the challenges of standing out in the field, the responsibility talent has and how the long view can get pushed to the side. It was a great conversation. We're going to play it for you after this long extended awkward silence. Welcoming in Todd here. Todd, I was curious what you think the Bet the Board brand can provide that maybe other outlets are missing, or what is the thing that you are hanging your hat on? So with our Bet the Board brand, we can provide unique perspectives. You know, both essentially uh, my co-host and myself, Payne, are both betters at this point. I've spent years behind the counter. Um, at Caesars is kind of where I got my start in the industry. So, you know, we're in the trenches. We understand how the industry works and we're trying to make a very difficult concept, a little bit more relatable for folks who are just making their first foray into the sports betting space. And the unfortunate reality of the way things have trended is that people, because they have, you know, professional sports backgrounds that somehow they're professed to be experts when in reality, You look at athletes and coaches, and typically those are the folks that really struggle to create that level of detachment that you need to be a professional sports better because you have that level of emotional involvement or attachment, whether it's the players, coaches, alma maters, or organizations. And I think for us, we kind of look at everything as a nameless and numberless commodity where you go in each week and we treat handicapping games, whether they be pro pro football, college football, or any other sports. Uh, essentially as the stock market. You're looking at a balance sheet, you're looking at the metrics and trying to figure out what may or may not be over or undervalued in any particular instance. And I think that's what's allowed our podcast to kind of differentiate itself from a lot of the competition that's out there. Uh, And that's what provided us the genesis for getting this show as a logical digital component um, with video 
in conjunction to the shows that we were running three days a week, knowing where the space is going, realizing when everybody's zigging, you kind of have to zag to create your own niche. I'm curious what it's been like for you as the space has exploded in these last few years with Johnny Come Lately's, if it's a bit like being in on a band when they were playing underground shows, but now that it's becoming more popular, you're forced to reconsider your relationship with the product. It's the perfect uh, analogy there. It's one of those things that you like the band when it was playing in a 1500 you know, seat venue. And then all of a sudden, when they were trying to sell out the Rose Bowl, you go, you know, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that band at this particular time, because they're there to play the hits as much as anything else. And while the hits will always have a place, the reality of it is you like the process and you want to kind of understand what goes into it. So for me, I think it's been great um, from a sports betting standpoint that, you know, major media has understood that this is a different lens for being able to view content out there. Uh, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't skeptical of some of the personalities that are put and thrust into positions to profess a level of expertise to try and be that vehicle to take sports betting and make it mainstream. Sure, I know all bookmakers and professional bettors aren't going to be the most eloquent or translate you know, naturally to mainstream media, but I think we all have to be cognizant of professional athletes who get to serve as ambassadors and push things out. You, you do begin to wonder um, in terms of what they know. And I think a lot of times my biggest fear is that the message of responsible gaming can get lost in the shuffle because this is people that are betting real money and you hope everybody's doing it responsibly, but you have to also keep in mind, there's going to be a contingent of the population, however small that may be that, you know, is going to have their gambling control them instead of them controlling their gambling. You know, from afar, it seems like someone who has the background and the history in this is long ago kind of had to grapple with their responsibility and what they're doing and how they fit into the larger picture of how gambling can impact people's lives. We know all the good, we know all the bad. And I, it's curious, I wonder if you think that this is something that people are going to have to do a lot more going forward. Like they're in the place now that you were in several years ago and you've kind of figured out what you want to be and how you want to do it. Whereas a lot of people are trying to get their feet under them and decide, okay, exactly what is my approach into what is a complicated area. Yeah. And I think you're right because when you look at the financial industry, it's the same way. And you can see some of those patterns playing out, whether it's on CNBC or it's Fox news, when you watch, you know, most of the financial institutions out there, they're spending a heck of a lot more money on marketing then they are talking about some of the disclaimers there that there are legitimate challenges when you're talking about investing money. And when you look at sports betting, I of course don't know the exact number now, but what was widely thrown about is that 98% of the people that bet sports are never going to be able to turn a profit because of the challenges that are involved, the ability to get some of the best of the numbers and the information. So I think, you know, a lot of people rather than promising this get rich quick type mentality for sports betting, it's gotta be viewed as a recreational lens uh, and one of the things for me that I always try and present is that, hey, look, if you're betting sports, you have to see that as the exact same as going out and playing a round of golf with your buddies, that you spend, you know, hundred bucks on greens fees, it keeps you entertained for three hours, but you know, you're not making that money back. I think people come into sports betting, unfortunately, with unrealistic expectations, because I get these questions asked to me all the time that, oh, I have a hundred bucks, you know, how much can I turn that into by the end of football season? And the reality of it is when I tell them I'm looking to try and have you know, seven to 8% ROI, they think you're nuts because they want to turn that $100 into 10,000. 
And it just sets people up for failure, creates unrealistic expectations. And in my opinion, even in the ecosystem, as it continues to grow, it's not long-term sustainable for the better, or even on some level for the operators uh, that aren't trying to provide better, more insightful commentary to make their better, smarter, uh, allow them to keep their bankrolls intact, you know, for an extra week or two, because we know, you know, you could give somebody one winner a week for 52 weeks. And the reality of it is, you know, human nature is going to take over. They're going to play three or 14 parlays. They're going to play teasers. They're going to bet their own games. Um, and, you know, when rubber meets the road, my whole thing is that if people set aside money, you know, whatever their bankrolls may be, as long as they paid for the cost of entertainment during football season, I think that's a win. If we can help make them smarter so they make more informed choices with our podcast platform, uh, then we're doing, you know, what I would like to think is a, hopefully adding some value um, to a world that's essentially filled with a ton of chaos. What is the value of a more informed better, someone who has been studying the material for five years versus someone new? Do you find that as your audience grows, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship and that you can grow along with them? A hundred percent. I think the more engaged you can create an audience who, you know, if he or she feels comfortable with some of the terminology and the bet types that are out there, you can establish that brand loyalty and create that familiarity. I mean, we know we have our core listeners. When we look at our demo, I don't think it'll surprise anybody. You know, when we're running hot, we give out one bet, one best bet typically each Wednesday for college and each Thursday for the NFL. We'll see our listenership tick up. But even when things, you know, with a smaller sample size, you know, go through the inevitable ebbs and flows of our business, we see our core listenership that's there. So our kind of takeaway and what's always been our premise and how we founded the podcast, that if we can add value, even if our you know, so-called best bet loses for a given week, if we've given you a unique perspective or thought to teach our listenership about the ways we look at games, they're going to be better informed. They're going to feel more comfortable and know that we're not just waking up in the morning, flipping on microphones or flipping on, you know, podcast recording software, picking 18 games and hoping that we go 16 and two so we can pound our chest. You know, we're putting in, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week at minimum, in addition to watching the games to try and talk about, you know, hey, here's some of the things to look for. Here are the injuries. Here's how weather factors in its power ratings uh, and providing, you know, what I like to think of as a multifaceted service. And the one, you know, kind of analogy I used to use when people would ask what differentiated our podcast, you know, from some of the others that are out there, I see us kind of as a whole foods that we're not going to necessarily be for everyone. We're going to give you fresh ingredients that you can use to prepare a meal, however you see fit. If we give you a stat, you may think, oh, this is great. I'm going to dig into it a little bit further and be able to make, you know, my own more informed judgments. You know, we're going to bring on guests that we feel are well-respected within the space that are also going to share a similar mindset. But at the same time, you know, if you may not have time to come into Whole Foods and be able to prepare a meal from scratch, we're going to have those grab and go meals, which is essentially our best bet at the end of the show. So we like to think we fall into a variety of different buckets. But at the end of the day, we're not necessarily going to be for everybody if they're looking for a fast food alternative in the betting space. And that may be just, you know, trying to get 12 NFL picks in a 10 minute podcast. So let's just say you're consuming uh, competitor's product, how quickly are you able to tell whether this person is doing the requisite homework, whether they're putting the work in or they're showing up and there's not a lot of depth there? And we can tell, we can tell pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is a lot of terminology, 
um, that, that people will use and try and encouraging you to go all in on a particular game, whether it's joking or not, you know, we have to be cognizant of yes, 21 plus is, you know, our target audience, but there are going to be younger audiences that are tuning in. And I don't want a 14 year old Todd Furman, or maybe even younger when I started betting games myself, or at least going through the paper, tuning in thinking, yeah, you should put your entire bankroll on this lock of the week, or I can, you know, quit your job and sports betting can be, you know, your primary income by following my information. So it's trying to create those realistic expectations that are there. And then one of the other big parts is, you know, being able to identify, you know, what they're talking about. Are they mentioning the evolution of a point spread or are they encouraging you to try and bet a game, which, you know, industry jargon, I apologize, is, you know, at the worst of the number. If someone is telling me to run to the window and bet a game at minus four, where professional bettors bet a game at minus two and a half, sure, that may that game may win in a limited sample size, uh, but it's not a long-term strategy any more than it is investing in a stock when it's hitting an all-time high, thinking that that stock is going to double in the next seven to 10 days, unless you happen to have information uh, that informed that choice. What do you imagine the next three to five years are going to look like? And why do you think you're in a position to stay out at the forefront? I think it's going to kind of continue to be the wild, wild west, at least for the short term, as you see more and more states come on board and operators continue to go through land grabs, trying to figure out the best strategies from an acquisition standpoint. And then you're going to get to a point in terms of critical mass where it's not acquiring new customers, it's going through and trying to convey that level of confidence in branding. How do we retain the customers we have and allow them to feel more comfortable uh, with the kind of content we're putting out there, how committed they are to actually making better smarter uh, and recognizing individuals in the space that we feel are consistent with their branding. I mean, I think we see a lot of operators now, everybody has their own marketing strategy in play, uh, but eventually all these sports bettors are going to be known. And so, you know, what can you do to try and turn that $100 better into a $150 better to allow them to grow with you? So you bring in someone that's 22, you know, they started an entry level job by the time they're 30, they're a director or higher in their company, they feel more comfortable with their bankrolls, and you have that relationship. And a lot of it reminds me of my time, you know, coming up through the ranks, not necessarily in the sports book side, but the thought process that went on at Caesars, when we started to develop the seven step stop strategy, that we needed to have different brands in the portfolio that catered to betters of all ability levels. So your entry level product offering, you know, was Imperial Palace, or the Rio, and then once you started to make more money, you could stay in a nicer room product that might be the Paris or, or the Flamingo. And everybody that was within that Caesars family, you always aspired as a 21-year-old making your first trip to Las Vegas that, hey, look, I want to stay at Caesars. That's where I know I've made it. You know, by the time I'm in my 30s, I'll be able to afford the Caesars room product. I'll be able to bet higher limits. I'll get invited to some of those VIP events. And I think you're going to see a lot of operators begin to identify strategies to figure out how they can keep the customers they have. Uh, and create that brand loyalty so their brands can grow in conjunction with, you know, betters of all ability levels. You know, we definitely have fun jobs, but at the end of the day, they are jobs. And even if you're doing something that's enjoyable, even if you're doing something in sports, something with gambling, there are those moments where it becomes a responsibility and a task. I'm curious for you, how do you keep yourself motivated and the energy levels high? I think it's a balancing act. Um, and there's no doubt there is definitely burnout that, that comes through. And I think when you look at the sports betting space, that's another reason for slight apprehension because 
people can't be experts in every sport. And, you know, you see a lot of people out there that profess to be experts in golf and in tennis and in MMA and in football. The reality for me is I'm usually open and honest about where my strengths and weaknesses lie as a handicapper um, from a college and football, you know, from a football standpoint, NFL and college have always kind of been where I've put my flag. I realize I don't know everything and surround myself with people that are smarter. And the two other, you know, ancillary sports that I'll do significant work on on my own are NASCAR and the NHL. I mean, so those are kind of the four pillars of my handicapping. And I'll realize that people want to talk golf. They want to talk tennis, NBA, college basketball. Can I carry on an educated conversation? Yes. But will I claim to be an expert in knowing the, you know, depth charts for, you know, every team competing in the Champions League group stage right now? Absolutely not. But I can look at a number and know, okay, there's some value and some opportunity. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the big things about it is a lot of these media outlets are looking for more generalists, where I think on some level, you'd like to be able to find a level of specialization where people were at least realistic and go, hey, you know, these are the sports I know. Here's where I can add value. Here's where I'm a little bit out of my depths and where I don't feel as comfortable. So I think part of it for me and why the podcast has always been a great home base is that I can be the host and I can realize that I don't not trying to know more than the guests. I'm not trying to be the smartest man in the room. I, you know, we bring on people that know more than we do. I mean, Payne is one of the sharpest, if not the sharpest NFL handicappers I know and with college football, but it puts me in a lane where I know the right questions to ask to set up guests and be able to go, okay, this guest knows what they're talking about. And, you know, we've had folks come on for, you know, college football and horse racing and everything else where I don't have to be the main attraction. I just have to be an interviewer that puts people in a lane that allows them to spread their wings. I think that's why our podcast works so well, because the camaraderie and rapport is there. And at the same time, you know, I know I'm not the expert for the NFL or college football ranks. It's my co-host that blows me away with his knowledge base. In any aspect, it's great to have editorial control and you have it of your product, what, what you put out there. It's not based on driving a bunch of conversions. It's not the end all be all is not how many signups you get. I think so many people are grasping for that and hopefully they can get it. But what is the value of being able to kind of set your own agenda and not have those external pressures driving your decision-making? Exactly. And I think that's been one of the challenges, you know, as we've continued to look at our comprehensive brand and why it took us a while to come up with a video concept that we thought was going to work. We realized that, Hey, you know, trying to tell people you're the smartest guys in the room doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it conveys a level of arrogance there. There's ways to convey expertise, but still work to, you know, an audience that may have an interest in your particular content. I think for us, the video component uh, is more of an on-roading rant, uh, vehicle than it is the deep dives that we're able to do in an hour plus podcast that a recreational better may get absolutely inundated and, you know, unfortunately feel slightly intimidated. But when you look around the space, you know, you see the same people and personalities, you know, professing to be experts, you know, know what you know and know what you don't know. And I think in this day and age, people see that as a sign of weakness and vulnerability. Whereas for me, I've always gone, hey, that's an honest, truthful assessment. If I go on a radio show and I'll do it with stations where they'll ask me about a big UFC fight for the weekend during football season, I'll go, hey, I don't really know the sport. If you're looking for strike rate metrics and things along those lines, I'm not the right guy. But if you want me to tell you what I've seen in terms of where professionals might be betting a fight uh, or how some of the money in the market's moving, I can dance between the raindrops and have an educated enough dialogue on that without claiming that I'm trying to masquerade it as something I'm not. The same way that, you know, in November, 
uh, if I were to do a radio show in Lexington, Kentucky, and you're asking me to forecast, you know, what UK is going to look like when they go through their non-conference schedule, there's much better people. And I'm always happy to put radio hosts or anybody else in touch with those folks who can answer those questions instead of me, you know, claiming to know something that clearly I don't. Because again, it boils down to authenticity. And if I'm not authentic to myself, I definitely can't be authentic to my audience. And I'd like to think they're discerning enough to be able to see right through a lot of that. This has obviously been a long and fruitful career. Would you mind going back a few steps and kind of just giving us the 30,000 foot view of how this came in to focus for you? And if you ever imagined that you would be in the space you are today? You know, not to the extent of media. Uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, I came out to Vegas because I wanted to work in the gaming industry. I mean, I always had a passion for sports. I mean, my background was in international economics. So I spent a lot of time studying Latin American economic development, which uh, I'm sure knowing exactly how Chile operated under Augusto Pinochet was extremely valuable in my interviews to try and work in sports media. But that's what it did other, is that's my other podcast. So we're gonna, <laughs> it, it's yeah, we, we can talk for hours about the Grameen Bank and microfinance if you really want. But uh, I've forgotten probably a lot more trying to figure out, you know, EPA and ADOT stats that I need for football. Um, so, you know, I spent time reading, uh, you know, a lot of articles throughout Latin America, but it steered me towards what the offshore gaming industry was doing for the Costa Rican economy, you know, way back in the early 2000s. And I went, you know, I've always been interested in sports. How do I crack into gaming? Um, and I thought for all intents and purposes, when I was going to school, I was going to work on wall street and that was the closest I was going to get the action of being a trader was going to kind of supplant my, you know, passion for sports. And the two of them were going to mirror one another, uh, ended up, you know, graduating from school going, you know what, I don't think I want to go in a financial realm and spent toiling around trying things out, uh, as a fortuitous bounce would have it that ends up meeting the president of Caesar's palace on Orient Africa. And she goes, my net. My nephew's real interested in the gaming space. Would you happen to have any advice? She put me in touch with him. I sent my resume along while I was bartending and waiting tables. And he was open and honest. He goes, look, there's not a lot of money to be made in sports. You know, you came from a good school. You seem to have a good head on your shoulders. You know, we have an analyst program that I think you could be a good fit for. Flew out to Vegas, went through 12 hours of interviews with a lot of high-ranking executives at Caesars at the time, and basically got my start, you know, figuring out the financial analysis behind you know, a slot tournament in terms of what kind of customers we had a market to, to be able to turn profit. And I would spend my weekends though, because of some introductions, you know, down in the race and sports book on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, learning that business, asking all sorts of stupid questions. And, you know, over time built the relationships when, all right, I think I want to work in sports. And, and I had a lot of management at Caesars kind of discouraged me from that pathway, because when you looked at the numbers, you know, sports betting revenue was 4% of gross gaming revenue in Nevada. It was always seen as an amenity more so than anything else. And went, you know what? I think this is where I want to be. I'm going to see it out. I don't have a wife and kids. I'm not really worried about chasing a paycheck. And uh, they gradually brought me over to the sports book, was able to learn, you know, start doing some radio content um, for them. Decided that, you know, it wasn't going to get the opportunities I envisioned at Caesars and took a six month consulting gig for a, you know, sports media company that was looking to build a B2C product line that turned into something significantly larger uh, was able to get into Fox with the launch of FS1 as a gambling analyst. And if you'd have told me when I graduated from college that this is where I could potentially be on the cusp of turning 40 or that the sports betting spit landscape would have grown this fast so quickly since the repeal of PASPA, uh, I mean, I probably would have had you drug tested because I would have thought you were taking substances that uh, you know were clearly clouding your judgment. So to see how fast things have moved, I think is great. 
But at the same time, there is that level of guarded skepticism. Are things moving too fast and too quickly in terms of the content realm uh, that we're providing platforms for folks that you know don't quite understand the ramifications of what they're saying uh, or exactly how the industry works? Can that opinion make you an unpopular person? 100%. 100%. And I think it has made me an unpopular person in some of the smaller circles. Um, I know there are a variety of people within the Las Vegas community, some of the old school guys that didn't think it was necessarily fair that I'd been given a larger platform than they had in knowing that they were lifers in the space. And for me, honestly, I never saw it as a competition and to be, and this will sound you know cheesy. I still don't see it as a competition. You know, my thing has always been, if we can make people smarter and we can make sports betting more mainstream, that was always my goal. You know, when I came on board with, with Fox Sports back in the day, that if I can prove that, hey, look, there's an appetite for this content, you can speak about it in an educated discourse, it's going to create opportunity for other odds makers that otherwise won't have had those same opportunities on radio or to do video or podcast. And while I don't think of myself as, you know, paving the way, um, you know, in that regard, I'd like to think that, you know, my ability to carry myself in a professional manner and serve as a good representative of what the sports gambling space could be, you know, allowed other people to have other opportunities to the point where we've seen the proliferation of content in a variety of manners. But you're right. I mean, you know, he or she who typically comes first or close to it. And I obviously didn't lead Jimmy the Greek or my mentor, Chuck Esposito, who's doing radio as well, you know, at least go went to show that, hey, there's a changing narrative and a changing storyline that you can take these people that come from different educational backgrounds that can speak about this more so than just offering up picks, uh, but translating it to a, a much smarter discourse. And, you know, it's what I try and do on a lot of the radio interviews I do where there's industry topics that come up to try and talk about them. Uh, but there's no doubt uh, I won't profess to be one of the more popular figures there. And, you know, all it takes is a couple of quick searches, I'm sure, on social media to see some of the comments that, you know, Todd doesn't bet, Todd's a hack, he never did this, that, or the other. And, and I see that almost as a badge of honor where I'm going, you know what, you can feel that way how, however you want, but I'm going to continue to do what I think is best, build those relationships, and hope that there's stronger opportunities as a result of that, even if you're not beloved by the entire space. Yeah, I... I... Interesting answer. I was I was focusing more on saying skepticism that the market is being flooded with with too much product. I was curious if that opinion can make. You oh, um, yeah. Um, you know, I think you have to be honest, and you know, people, as you know, being a journalist, people don't love honesty. So when you talk about it, people immediately assume you're jealous or something else like that. When you look at some of these larger sports books. And they bring in professional athletes for, you know, lucrative paydays to serve as ambassadors. But I do think that there is that level uh, that you have to have of people that are actually betting the games that have been in and around the industry who can carry the discussion more so than just they have larger platforms. But at the same time, you know, you see counter examples to that, um, you know, guys like Pat McAfee and Clay, who probably saw this as an opportunity, but they've worked to learn the space and can speak the language and the dialogue there as it pertains to gambling. And I give guys like that, that it didn't have it naturally ingrained in their DNA to learn the space uh, and really take things to another level. Because I do believe that if you have that cottage industry and it's too niche without mainstream personalities, you are never going to see the growth of sports betting uh, the way they have those. So those are two guys that I look at, you know, being linchpins for everything that's been able to happen, especially, you know, really help the FanDuel brand grow and afford me an opportunity as well to kind of do things, you know, in a very different vein uh, than what others have been able to make successful. 
Okay, so one more time, give me the elevator pitch on what you're doing, why you think you're doing it differently, and what you hope to accomplish. I think it's so important to have, you know, when everybody's zigging in a space to be able to kind of zag. And what I mean by that is that so much of sports betting content now seems to be focused primarily on picks and the merits of the individual conveying that level of expertise is only based on the bounce of a ball that may take place on a Saturday or Sunday. And I think it's so important when you look into the space to try and be able to make your audience smarter in addition to just picking games as a one-stop shop. If you can talk about some of the process that goes into creating lines, how a line could potentially evolve, whether it's a future market or you know an NFL point spread over the course of six, seven days, be able to anticipate where that number is going and share some of the thought process that goes into it. Because yes, at the end of the day, when you look at a point spread, one side will win, one side will lose. Uh, but trying to see it as a 50-50 proposition, I think does a huge disservice knowing to the mathematical implications that, that are behind all of it. So if we can use our platform to turn recreational betters into being slightly more sophisticated uh, and taking an extra step back that they feel comfortable to bet, you know, a few dollars more, be a little bit more, slightly more disciplined in their approach, that we give them a puncher's chance against the mathematical model that quite honestly in the sports book is extremely difficult to overcome. Uh, and it's why 98% of people out there, you know, maybe that's a shade high, should only be betting sports from a recreational standpoint, not seeing it as a lucrative pursuit uh, for all of their, you know, wildest dreams, because uh, I'll be honest, they, a lot of the guys that do this professionally, there is no glitz and glamour. It's a lot of time with spreadsheets. It's a lot of time in, in social isolation, and you have to surround yourself with social groups and significant others um, that, that really see, you know, the industry and understand what it takes. So I, I think being able to try and have that vehicle as I get off, you know, on a tangent a little bit, having that vehicle where we can be honest and authentic with our content you know, make our listeners and viewers significantly smarter so they feel more comfortable uh, in an ever-growing sports betting landscape uh, with a lot of content that's meant to kind of misguide them uh, and create some of those false expectations. You're someone who has etched out a place in both audio with the podcast and with video, the series you're doing for FanDuel. What are the challenges and how do they differ between the two I think the podcast allows us to have a much longer form uh, discussion and dialogue. It can be, you know, the point where you're breaking down games for 10 to 12 minutes a pop uh, and get into a lot of the minutia behind it because people can digest it in smaller increments in terms of, you know, games or teams that they might be most informed on. As far as video, it's significantly tougher to try and keep people's attention. So it's all about trying to create that fast moving show where you can still hit on some of the topics. You're not going to be able to get into that level of depth and detail, but you can still find a way to use it as a vehicle to get to an audience uh, that may be searching far and wide for informed opinions, not necessarily just on specific games, uh, but also trying to identify personalities in the space whose input they should value. And I think, you know, with the video form more so than our podcast, the podcast is essentially the two of us and we have, you know, fan duels lead odds maker that comes on on Thursdays for the NFL. But with the video iteration, you know, we have th three of the most respected guests in the entire sports betting space in Warren Sharp, who, you know, we've talked about, you know, who deep dives NFL analytics more than anybody out there. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Bill Krakenberg, who's arguably one of the single most respected sports bettors out there uh, and puts in more time and has deeper connections throughout the industry than anybody. Uh, and a guy who I don't think really gets enough credit 
uh, for how sharp he is in the college football and NFL world. I don't want to slight him in Brad Powers. So having that trio uh, come on and kind of supplement our content uh, has really been better than anticipated. And I think a lot of our viewers as they watch week in, week out, are going to be blown away by the amount of ground we can cover in the industry, not just for the weekend's games, but everything else, you know, in the span of a 30 to 35 minute show, more so than, you know, hour plus deep dive podcast. All right. He's Todd Furman. You can follow him on Twitter. Todd Furman, bet the board podcast, CBS analyst videos for FanDuel. You're already familiar with him. So get reacclimated. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.